On today's show, we begin our position previews. We'll talk undervalued catchers for your upcoming 2024 drafts. Plus, we'll have our strategy section, injury report, trivia, and much, much more. Justin Mason of the Sleeper and the Bus podcast joins us next on Beat the Shift. Welcome to another episode of the Beat the Shift podcast, presented by Fangraphs. I am your host, Ariel Cohen, and with me as always is Ruvain Guy. How are you, Ruvain? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good, and we're now into our position preview episodes, where we're going to go through the position, set it up, get you up to speed on everything. Uh, ready for this uh, draft season? Almost. I'm getting there. I'm I'm getting back into the baseball season and, and feeling and everything like that. I mean, football, all the fantasy stuff, that's over with. So I guess everyone's just should be now preparing for baseball. Yeah, with uh, fantasy football over, those of you who uh, do dual sports are, are back here full time. And so uh, we're ready to get you. I've got a fantastic guest. Uh, you definitely know him if you listen to our show. Welcome, Justin Mason. How are you, Justin? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you guys for having me back on the show. Oh, absolutely. Of course, for you for you guys who don't know this, uh, Justin gave us our start. We were uh, the host of uh, one of the segments of the uh, Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational podcast for a couple years, and uh, Justin produced that. And so, you know, thank you again for, of course, giving us our start, Justin. Absolutely. You know, uh, one of the things that – um, you know, we got to see it today, right? Like Eno Saris got into the FSWA Hall of Fame. I saw that. Um, and I'm not anywhere in this industry without, you know, someone like Eno. Uh, and so I'm always down to help people out because I feel like uh, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the help of uh, a lot of amazing people in the industry. So uh, it was it was my pleasure to have you guys uh, be a part of the TGFBI uh, podcast for a while. Yes, and we need more people. We need more people in the industry like you who are encompassing, giving people their starts. I know you've got a lot of people started, and I think it's a great thing, especially in this, because we're such a small, tight knit community, the the fantasy baseball community. And what you do is actually really great. Oh, I appreciate that. Exactly. All right. Well, let's jump into the action here. Today's our catcher episode, and uh, even though it's they're not the best players, you still need them. We'll talk a little bit about the differences between a one-catcher and a two-catcher league, uh, talk about streaming, and we'll talk about a couple of undervalued players that ATC projections see. ATC not released yet, but uh, I do have an early version, and I was able to decipher some uh, early bargains, so uh, we'll take a look at that. All right, well, let's just set the stage, Justin, and you know, let's talk general catcher strategy, and let's start with the, the, the player pool. Have you seen any interesting things what are your general player pool observations for this year's catcher position well i think the catcher position may be the best for fantasy that it's ever been uh i mean it wasn't that long ago where we were talking like uh you know if you were in like a mono league for instance especially two catcher mono league like uh the vast majority of your you know catcher pool would be giving you negative value uh, and so, and that would carry on into shallower and shallower formats. So if you were in a 12 team mixed league or a 15 team mixed league, the back end of the 
catcher pool is giving you really, really bad or negative value. Uh, and we're now getting to a point where, yeah, there's like you know, at least, you know, 20 good catchers uh, that you don't mind rostering and even a few more that uh, are pretty interesting. And so uh, it has made the game uh, a little bit different, the way you approach the position a little bit different, uh, especially when we start getting into the two catcher uh, aspect as opposed to the one catcher. But it's kind of nice to not have this position just be completely like a barren wasteland because there's been way too many years in the 20 plus years I've been playing fantasy where like, Hey, there's three good catchers. If you don't get one of them, then you just kind of wait and take a dart throw somewhere. Uh, and now that's not the case. Yeah. I'm going to agree for the most part. Um, there's a lot of good catchers out there. The bottom of the pool doesn't look as bad. The middle top of the pool doesn't look as bad. Uh, you don't get that differentiation, but I'll, I'll, I'll go right back to you, Justin. Because the catcher pool is less unique, let's let's put it that way, because there are a lot of options, doesn't that make it less valuable in that it doesn't really matter who you take, just take whoever is the cheapest, if that's the case? In a one-catcher league, for sure. Um, I still think there are some interesting tiers, and I think uh, especially... Uh, I think there are some big drop-offs depending, you know, if you're, especially if you're playing in like a 15 team mix league or, or a mono league, um, you know, that plays two catchers. Uh, I think they, I think they become some pretty big drop-offs, but I think the tiers themselves have thickened up. So you can wait quite a while in a lot of leagues. And this is why we're not seeing like any catchers go in the top three rounds of a 15 team league, right? You know, the last few years, Jake Teal Ramuto, other guys have been moving up to the second, third rounds of 15-team leagues. And right now, you know, the highest guy is uh, Adley Rutschman, and he's, you know, just going in barely inside the top 50. And then there's a big drop-off to JT Romuto at pick 70. So I think it's not that you want to wait until the end of your draft uh, to take your catchers, uh, but I think you can definitely wait longer than you have before and kind of pick and choose which tiers you want to play in. Ruvain, what are your observations of the pool this year? Well, I think Justin touched on what I was going to say a little bit, but if you look at the top tier of catchers, there isn't this one-two catcher and then like a huge drop and then you hope you get someone in the middle. They're all pretty much bunched together at the top. They're like maybe four or five catchers that I can really live with. And then beyond that... You know, it's it's not like you have to punt the catcher category. You don't have to go with two $1 catchers. You just don't have to do that because you'll get some value later in the draft just because the catcher pool is so deep. Just to give an example, last year, according to ADP, the number 30th catcher was Jonah Heim, and according to ATC values, he was valued preseason at minus three. This year, it's minus two, but it's Gary Sanchez. So it, there's a little bit different. You, you know, the pool's a little bit different, and I think that you're able to wait a little bit longer, but I also think that you can still get some pretty good bargains off top. Yeah. From a mathematical standpoint, the replacement level is much higher than usual, so catchers don't get as much of a bump as they would ordinarily. It's, you know, to, to, to replace the, the bottom person, the 30th catcher, let's say, in a two-catcher, two 15-team league, since that person's not as, as bad as it, it, they usually are, 
you don't have to pay uh, a big premium above. And so you're right. The uh, What you said, Justin, they don't get bumped into the second, third rounds anymore. Justin, what is the difference between, in general, between a one-catch league and a two-catch league? And what do you see this year specifically? So I think that it, traditionally – um, the way I had approached the differences between a two catcher and one catcher league is uh, I'd be much more willing to pay up for a good catcher in a two catcher league because the drop off between, let's say, catcher, you know, seven and catcher 24 is massive. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, the drop off in a one catcher league between the guy, the fifth catcher off the board and the 12th catcher off the board might be pretty small and so i would say unless there was someone who really stood out to me as a massive bargain in a one catcher league i'm waiting till the end of my draft i really don't care and i think that um is even kind of been more reinforced by how good the pool is so unless there's somebody that really stands out to me uh as like a big value or i just think could just have a massive season uh and i'm sure we'll talk about you know, a couple of those guys uh, here in a little while. Uh, I'm probably waiting till the end of my draft in a one catcher league. I just, the, the, the pool is too good and the differences between, you know, maybe the, you know, the fifth guy or the fourth guy and the 12th guy just is so small that it's not worth the rounds upon rounds of value I'd be giving up that I could be getting uh, elsewhere on my team. In a two catcher league, I still think that there is, you know, some some drop-offs in terms of tiers. And so while I'm not necessarily opposed to waiting till the end to fill my catcher spots, because I do think, you know, uh, I've got guys targeted uh, as, hey, I think these guys could kind of break out. I think especially if you're looking for someone who's a little bit more safe, uh, I don't want to necessarily, especially for both, wait till the end. Uh, and I've, done, I've already done, I think I've done... I've completed four drafts and I'm in two other ones currently. Uh, and I think only in one of them did I actually wait on both of my catcher spots. And I wasn't really happy with the results. Yeah. The the difference between the number three catcher I have valued and the number 14 catcher, right, is only $7 in the two catcher league. That it, It's just so small that it, they're all interchangeable. And if they're all interchangeable, just get the cheapest one. You can wait. A one catcher league absolutely this is definitely the year that you can wait and because the replacement level is is very high like if your catcher gets injured or is underperforming just just dump them because you've only spent a dollar or whatever the last round is and get another one uh in two catcher leagues i don't think you can do quite that i don't think you can just get two one dollar catchers the problem also is that you want to be playing in in different parts of the curve you want to be shopping in different bins. You want to get a a, a gold watch, and you also want to get a little uh, little trinket for thirty dollars. You know, you, you, if you play in the same basket, um, you're not going to get as good a thing because they're not going to be differentiated. And then you have an issue with what if somebody gets hurt? Well, now you're dipping in the well. Like if you get two one dollar catchers, you're going to be dipping in that waiver wire pool very, very, very often. Uh, not a great idea. Uh, you know, there, obviously there is drop, more drop-off in a two-catcher league than one, and yes, yes, the 
the player pool is closer than usual, but still, you don't want to go down to $2, to $1 catchers. You should get somebody up top. Remember, there's so many choices. You can get a discount. When, when you have six guys that are worth about the same, maybe a couple of them will be overpriced, a couple of them will be at value, but there's going to be a couple of them that are undervalued. So to, to ignore that whole top of the curve is silly. There's going to be a good discount somewhere in the in the in that top tier uh, uh, from the six similar catchers. So I, I I you should plan to pick one of those catchers. And if you want to go second catcher cheap, not a problem. Uh, Ruvain, anything to add? Yeah, you're talking about shopping in the same bin. I'm looking at the ATC numbers that, that you sent over to me already, and there are a lot of catchers valued, let's say, in the range between 14 and 11. If you get a $14 catcher, let's say, you're going to get someone like, I don't know, Wilson Contreras or maybe a, 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 a Yander Diaz. And if you add that with a $1 catcher, you're still spending a total of, let's say, $16, you get 16, 16, value, 15 value dollars worth of a catcher. In previous years, if you spent $16 worth in a, in a catcher, that's one catcher, and maybe you're lucky if you get a second one for that, for, for for the value that you're getting this year. So I think you can wait to the middle of the pack and get a cheaper catcher at the end because if you do that, let's say you go for a $1 chopper, a catcher, and toward the end you want to get, you know, take a risk on like an Austin Wells or something like that or a catcher like that just because he has some upside. You get a dollar catcher for that, that's fine. And as for a one-catcher league, I don't see why you would pay anything for not only that if you're in a one catcher league and you get let's say the 10th catcher on the list who you're going to get uh keeper Ruiz, maybe gabriel Moreno, maybe a jonah Hines, something like that if you get one of those players you could stream there's no reason why you can't this is the year that if you're going to get a one dollar catcher that catcher should be in and out the door and just get the hottest catcher that's out there before we talk any more about streaming here's the injury gurus trivia of the week So we are going to talk a little about streaming, and I wanted to ask you, Justin and Ariel, you can you can chime in also see if you can get this. In ten team league, you can probably be able to stream. In fifteen, it's a little bit harder. The catchers who ranked between thirty and thirty five in value last year from five by five, can you name them? Number one, I don't know if you can. It's that's kind of hard. So I'm not. I'm going to make it a little easier. I'm going to give. I'm going to tell you them so you can. You know, think about it for a little bit. That's Carl Higashioka, Andrew Knapp, Logan Ohapi, Jan Gomes, and Tom Murphy. But when I did a deeper dive, I found this. How many catchers last year had 300 at-bats or more? That's my question. 300 at-bats, not plate appearances. Not plate appearances, but but counted at-bats. I'm going to guess there were uh, 12. That feels uh, fine. I'm going to go more. Um, I'll go 18. Okay, so according to Fangraphs, there were 45 catchers that had 300 or more at-bats. What? 45. What? They were no. In two, in, I, I, this is what I looked up. In 2022, there were 24, and in 2021, there were 20. Because there's so much split time. There was no ca- Very few catchers have so much catching time if you look at it there's no reason why you can't stream because there are so many catchers who are getting at least 300 at bats 45 yes look it up i am looking it up by the way i I honestly don't i actually actually don't believe it um really 45 so you're gonna have 600 plate appearances from wow i mean 
Uh, you're telling me it. Uh, well, Justin uh, will do that, the research. That is incorrect. It's. Are you sure about that? Yes, I think you may have been looking at plate appearances. No, I I went on to actually. If you go to, I'll, I'll look it up exactly. One plate second. appearances, I can believe. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe. Let's see. Maybe it was on plate appearances, but let me just see here. Um, Even plate appearances. Yes, you're right. I... It, it was it was plate appearances. I'm sorry. It was plate appearances. Okay. It was plate appearances. Okay. So. Still. Yeah. Same 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 concept though. The same concept runs with this that the fact that they're getting that many plate appearances they it, it's a big difference. And you can you can possibly stream these catchers. So so Justin, what is your take on streaming catchers? Is that a viable option to say, you know what? I don't want to spend any draft capital on a catcher. I'm going to take the last catcher and and stream. Certainly we already said that in a one catcher league you can do that and you probably should. Um mm-hmm. what about a two catcher league? Is that effective? I mean, it can be effective if you land on the right one. I mean, I think you need when you are drafting a fantasy team, when you're constructing a fantasy team, I think one of the most important things that people often uh, don't do is, uh, or don't have the ability to do, is be honest with themselves. What are you good at? What aren't you good at? You know, and for some people, fab work and constantly turning over roster, they're not good at it. And if you're not, especially if you're not good at picking out who's who's going to get playing time at the catcher position, um, then you probably shouldn't do it. But I mean, last year was a really good example of a year in which, hey, you might have landed on Yanyu Diaz, you might have landed on Capsano, you might have landed on a number of guys who actually, you know, returned a lot of value off of the waiver wire, even in a two catcher league. So. Um, I think it is a viable strategy, but it takes work. And I mean, you know, you're also going to be streaming other things like, uh, you know, category points and, uh, you know, probably saves and streaming pictures. Do you want to add another thing to that list? I personally don't. So I tend to draft catchers a little bit higher than most. Yeah, I think that makes a difference if you have like a $100 fab league versus 1000 and if you mm-hmm. have zero minimum bid versus one, you certainly don't want to be spending a dollar, a dollar, a dollar every other week on getting a catcher, at, you know, for, 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 your, for your $100 leagues that have a $1 minimum, right? Uh, I guess you could in zero, but, you know, it's busy work to do, and then you're you, more things to look at. Uh, I guess I guess you can. I mean, certainly you can stream until you find the right person. Uh, certainly you might have to in some situations if you if you have an injured player. Um, I, I don't think it's a great starting option, but, you know, it could work. Uh, question, Justin. Um, are there any catcher situations in a two-catcher league that's worth buying both ends of the handcuff? Um, I don't know, Travis Darno and Sean Murphy. Is it worth buying those two, or is that just a bad strategy? So I got this question last year um, because in Tout Wars, I drafted both Danny Jansen and Alejandro Kirk. Um, and here's and, – and I, you know, I, I think I was on with maybe like uh, Bowden or maybe it was Rick and Glenn – um, it was somebody on, on Sirius and they're like, well, I wouldn't have done that. And like, how are you ever going to get a full, uh, thing of plate appearances? And my retort to that was, I mean, no, no, not very many catchers are getting a full slate of plate appearances. The amount of catchers that got 
over 600 plate appearances in uh, 2023 was two. So, I mean, I don't mind doing it. Do I think it's a particularly good strategy for the most part? Not unless you're getting a real value somewhere. If you end up with both, you know, in, in my situation last year where I drafted Kirk and I drafted Jansen, I got them both $5 cheaper than my value said they were. Now, it ended up not working out because neither of them were particularly that good last year. But if they had kind of produced what I thought they were going to produce uh, from a projection standpoint, it would have worked out just fine. So I don't think it, I don't think it's a particularly good or bad strategy as long as you're getting the players at value or at the value you want. Any thoughts, Uwe? Yeah, I, 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 I was, as you guys were talking, I was looking to see if I can fix my mistake over there. There were actually 26 <laughs> catchers that had 300 plate appearances. Okay. I, count, I counted 26 catchers. But that being said, there's no reason you should be handcuffing because if you handcuff, you're not giving yourself the opportunity to get two possible quote-unquote full catchers full catchers let's say is, is more than 350 at bats i'd say and you have to also take into account a lot of these catchers may be playing a dh like a, like a salvador perez or maybe playing first base like a, like a, a tyler uh, stevenson that type of player so yes you can you can you can handcuff but it's sometimes it's not really worth it unless you're buying upside on the second handcuff guy or you think that one guy may not be as good as you think as you end up getting when you're concerned and you want to get a second guy and, it, and he's available for a buck and you need something that toward the end of the draft then that's fine i think it's generally a bad strategy if the two catchers are going to literally split time but if you have a situation where the two catchers on the team but one of them is going to take a nice share of first base or dh that's a totally different story right i mean the danny jansen and kirk a lot of them were dh for a good part so they weren't just getting one catcher spot and split in half they're getting more than that. So I think it really matters the exact situation, right? For instance, Cal Raleigh this year and Mitch Garver. Like, I don't have a problem necessarily drafting both of those guys on the same team. Correct, because Garver is probably going to be the primary DH, so he's not taking mm -hmm. away at bats from Raleigh. Right. Exactly. Okay. Um, now, a lot of times from the catcher position, you can get a lot more at bats than any other catcher if, it, if the catcher is serving as a DH or doubling up as a first base here and there. Just for our audience's purposes, maybe uh, between us, we can list the situations where we think that there's going to be a catcher that will fill in a lot of the DH time. I mean, you mentioned that situation with uh, Garver, um, Jansen and Kirk, you will have that. What other situations uh, are the uh, teams, uh, a guy who's qualified at the catcher position, really going to get a lot more time because of DH? Sal Salvador Perez is uh, the prime example. What are the others? I don't know that there is a ton. Um, I mean, Rutschman played 154 games last year. Um, so, I mean, I, I, you know, he's the reason he's at the top of the catcher pile this year is because he just, he gets so many plate appearances. Um, you know, Henry Davis isn't going to be eligible in a lot of leagues to start as a catcher, but he's going to go back to catching and he's also going to play the outfield or DH when he's not catching so he's one of those guys that uh you know will gain eligibility in season that i definitely uh would be very interested in especially if i get a one dollar catcher that i can just replace with uh henry davis later on um yeah i'm not you know shailene galeers is a guy that could uh get some extra plate appearances uh at dh when he's not catching but it, it's a little difficult there aren't as many this year like there's not the 
Austin Nola guy, uh, you know, or even last year, MJ Melendez, right? He was catcher eligible. Dalton Varsha was catcher eligible, but they were going to play full time at a different position. Uh, right. There aren't that many this year. Yeah. I'll throw in uh, William Contreras. He, he's going to get a bunch of DH uh, opportunities for Milwaukee. Um, he might be the top catcher, or at least he's in that discussion. Uh, so I, I'd throw him. I'd also mention that Will Smith of the Dodgers is no longer that. Not so much last year because they had J.D. Martinez, but if you remember two years ago, three years ago, he did pick up a lot of extra bats at the DH. That's no longer the case because they've signed a $700 million DH. <laughs> so he's not getting any more playing time there, I'll tell you that. Yeah, well, Yenir Deer has also got some time at DH. I mean, that was also time when – um, let's say if Yoran uh, Alvarez is able to play the outfield a little bit, so he may get some, get some time in DH, but that may be different this year because Martin Maldonado is, is not there, and he was a defensive catcher, and that's why they had him there. Um, and I mentioned Tyler Stevenson. He played a couple of games at, at first base. He played eight games, but the problem with, with the Cincinnati situation is that they have so many corner out, infielders that I don't think that he's going to get that much playing time there. All right, let's go to um, the undervalued players and uh, the ATC undervalued players. And the way it works, uh, this is our first position preview, is that um, we can talk about every single catcher. We can rank every catcher. Um, there are other good podcasts, including the one that Justin Mason is on, the Sleeper and the Bust, that do a fantastic job of going through the entire player pool. We don't do that here. What we do is we spend time on – looking at some players that seem to be undervalued according to the ATC projections as compared to some measure of ADP. I generally take NFBC ADP. Um, and so we take a look and see where we can mine profit based on projections, but we're not going to be blind. We're not going to just take uh, ATC's word for it. We're going to investigate and do a deep dive in those couple of players that we think are potential bargains. Um, so it's a list of possibilities, and we'll see who we can toss out and who we want to keep as our, hmm, consider these guys. Number one on this list here I have is Salvador Perez. I see a huge bargain potential for him. He's going for about an auction equivalent of 10 to $11. When I say auction equivalent, uh, is he's got an ADP. His ADP is 135 which is equivalent to like an $11 auction player, I think, in, in terms of auction dollars. So that's why I recite those numbers. So it's a $7 bargain at the catcher position. That's quite a lot. Um, Salvador Perez has done it for so many years in a row. I mean, I'll give you the last couple of years of return value. 15, 16, 37, 27. I mean, he's almost a guarantee to get at least 15 bucks. So if you're only bidding 10 bucks, I mean, he and I, and we know he's older, but he's going to get a lot of playing time if healthy, and they're going to put him at DH quite a bit. Um, I don't see a very big drop-off in talent. Low, fit, low 20s homers, 80 RBIs because he bats cleanup. I'm only projecting him for a 258 average. I think it's almost like a slam dunk. Old, boring vet wins again. Justin, are we thinking that Salvador Perez is a good bargain this year? I mean, I think he is. <laughs> like yeah. he's just he's just about as steady as you get. Uh, you know, last three seasons, uh, five hundred eighty plate appearances, four hundred seventy three plate appearances, six hundred sixty five plate appearances. The guy just plays, um, and that's something that is really hard to find at the catcher position. Uh, and like I said, he's going to DH a bunch. Um, you know, he, is he the guy that we saw in 2021 who had 48 home runs and 121 RBIs? No, but 
like I think he's about as steady as you can get. Low to mid twenties home runs, a two fifty five batting average. Uh, you know he's going to hit in the middle of that lineup. Uh, yeah, you obviously take some points off for uh, points leagues or on base percentage leagues, but uh, in your traditional roto, yeah, two catcher league, I love Sal Perez. Yeah, he's worse in, in OVP. His his walk rate last year was three percent, which is pretty bad. Uh, so yes, he's better in batting average versus OBP. He's better in the roto. Uh, it, well, he, yeah, he's better in the roto, uh, even though he, even though he doesn't steal either way. Uh, the only concern I have also is that the, the Royals are not going to be a great team, so the run the run production numbers might be low. But he is bad in cleanup, so I, I'd rather have a cleanup batter on a poor team than a uh, a seven hitter on a good team. I think. I think. The Royals are going to be better than you think. I think the Royals are sneaky interesting this year. Um, I just, you know, like they're 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 not like an overpowering team, but no team in that division is overpowering. Uh, and I could definitely see them like being a dark horse uh, playoff team in that division, or at least overachieving, or at least overachieving. Last year, my dark horse playoff team uh, made the World Series in Arizona, so. Um, I'm, 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 I'm going to take a gamble when I'm in Vegas, uh, to put some money on the Royals to win that division. Wow. And you got Bobby Witt, you got Pasquantino, mm. Nelson Velasquez. It's getting better, you know? Getting better. You know, there, there's, there is a potential there. So yeah, I, I like him. Ruvain, do you agree? Yes, I, I, I do. I like him as a dark horse, but I like Sal Perez even more. I mean, if you look at the last four weeks, his average ADP, according to the NFBC site, is between 84 as a minimum and 159 as a max. If you, if you see Salvador Perez sitting out there in the 150s in that type of range, how can you not take him? He, I mean, he's been Mr. Consistency as catcher. Um, he's got, I mean, if you really want to, he's got dual eligibility. So if you have an injury, you can always throw him at first base, although his value is a catcher. But the average of his last two years, 23 homers, 78 RBIs, 255 average. And that's basically what he's done, except for the one outlier year when he went crazy. And Justin, I want to ask you a question. I, I asked this to Ariel earlier in the week, and I really wanted to know your opinion on this. Do you think Salvador Perez is a Hall of Fame catcher? I think he is going to be close. Um, and honestly, I think a lot of it will depend on like kind of how he finishes his career. Um, I, I don't know that. Like, I think if he retired next year, he's probably not. But if he can maintain another three or four years of this production, I think he can make the argument for it because I think he'll have enough numbers at the position to do it. The hard part is he is not going to be a guy who stands out defensively. Um, and because the walk rate is so low, um, he's going to be a guy who finishes probably with a, his career with a sub 300 OBP, uh, which I think the kind of as as the electorate of the Hall of Fame uh, kind of becomes younger and younger and becomes by that smarter and smarter because we're having smarter people become part of the baseball hall of fame electorate. Um, I think it's going to be very difficult for a, for a guy who had, who was bad defensively and had a sub 300 OBP to get into the hall. I think it's an easy no for him. Um, Fangraphs right now has him as a 15 war player career, which is really far away. Uh, baseball Reference has him at 33. I believe Fangraphs in the war calculation takes catcher defense a lot more into account. I, I, I wouldn't think it would be like double, 
but um, so I have to investigate why that's true. But even Baseball Reference has 33. Hall of Fame catchers, the average Hall of Fame catcher has a 53 career war. I don't see him getting 20 war in the rest of his career. Yeah. Uh, I think he's far away. I mean, he's more comparable to like uh, Brian McCann, Javier Lopez. Those guys are far away from from being uh, Hall of Famers. Uh, I, yeah, I, I, I was I was exactly. I was going to comp him to Brian McCann. He actually has so far for his career 200 career less RBIs than Brian McCann, and he's only 15th on the list in home runs. So I, I of, of all time in, in catchers. So I don't think he's going to get there. But if he extends his career and is able to play a little bit more DH, I think he may be able to get in as a catcher. And just as note, there have only been 16 Hall of Fame catchers so far. So it's a very it's very hard to get in as a catcher as a as full-time catcher it's very hard to get in as a catcher to begin with and the fact that you know if he's i mean he's at his peak he was the best catcher in baseball for like four or five years if he's not getting in are there any catchers right now that are hall of fame worthy well i would say that maybe if salvador perez did like an underwear commercial with eno saris maybe he'd be in the hall of fame <laughs> <laughs> um i mean by the time he's eligible uh both uh mauer and posey will be in the hall of fame right so maybe that helps his case a little bit i think real muto is potentially a hall of fame catcher uh depending on how he finishes his career but it is it's a difficult position to get in and i think you don't know that it's going to become any easier as uh as the electorate gets smarter and smarter i think um you know, especially with all the other players uh, and the way the voting goes now, like I think it will be difficult for other catchers to get it, just as difficult for other catchers to get in. I do think Real Muto is that guy that could be considered a Hall of Fame catcher that's playing right. Oh, Yadira Molina is going to get in. So there's another one uh, who will be in before um, Perez has an opportunity. So uh, the, the pool is going to get bigger for Hall of Fame catchers, but I don't know that that's ever going to include Sal Perez unless he has a really strong another four, five, six years. Yeah, he's got a lot to go. Yeah. And and you're right, the the candidacy of the other catchers probably helps his um, as well. So it's hard to answer the question now. All right, <laughs> uh, back to the players here. The next one I have on my list is a possible undervalued player. Not William, but Wilson Contreras, the other Contreras brother on St. Louis. I have him as a $14 player going for about 10 He's uh, at, in round 10 in the NFBC. Um, he's a guy who has triple... Low risk. You know, I've got those ATC risk metrics. They're all super low. And he provides a couple of stolen bases to boot. He's got a little bit of power, a little bit of runs, a little bit of RBI. He's got everything. You know, almost like a five-category player for a catcher as much as it can be. Super consistent. I mean, we talked about Perez's consistency. I'll read his numbers over the last couple of years. $14, 15 14 2016. So he's only going for 10 bucks. I think it's almost like a slam dunk also. Uh, his strikeout rate is low 20s, so that batting average probably will pitch high, push high. Uh, I know he had a high Babbitt last year, so the 264 might not stick, but 250, 260, I think that's pretty easy. Um, because of the low risk metrics, when I do my risk-adjusted pricing and I say what price do I want to bid against, he actually gets bumped up almost two points, almost $2 worth. So... He's got a $6 risk-adjusted potential profit. Sounds like a good investment to me. Do you agree, Justin? 
Uh, yeah, I do. I mean, I've always been a Wilson Contreras uh, fan. Um, I think he is just one of those guys that is perpetually underrated that people don't give enough credit to. Uh, I also don't think people are giving enough credit to the fact that he actually made improvements uh, in some of his underlying metrics. Hit the ball hard, but he had a career high zone contact at 85%, which is pretty darn good for a catcher. So, uh, yeah, I think that maybe people are... You know, maybe they expected more from him coming off the big contract. Uh, maybe they're just a little bit underwhelmed by how kind of poor St. Louis played. But it wasn't the offense that was an issue uh, in St. Louis. It was the pitching mostly. So I think, you know, he's going to hit in you know, a good spot in uh, a pretty potent lineup. Uh, he, you know, made improvements to his contact uh, skills last year. I think this is a really good time to buy Wilson Contreras. Any difference of opinion, really? Nope, his his. I don't see any sign of regression. His last three year average is twenty one homers, sixty RBIs, and a two forty eight average. His his metrics have not changed at all over the past four years. And the most important thing that I see for him is his at bats uh, the last couple of years: four twenty eight, four sixteen, four thirteen. Very consistent. There's really no much change. He's still in a pretty good lineup, and he's not going to hit that low in the lineup either. So I think that plays into the factor also. And the Cardinals, that division also, there's no real team blowing out another team in, the, in that division. The Cardinals were projected to win the division last year, and they finished very poorly. So the fact that their offense is good, that bodes well for Wilson Contreras. Ruben, I'm going to go right back to you with the next one. How about Kybert Ruiz? What do you see with Ruiz? Kybert Ruiz. Now, I'm actually pretty high on him. I was high on him last year, and I liked him. Last year, he had career highs in home runs, runs, RBIs. Walk rate was his walk rate and K rate haven't changed since he came into the majors fully in 2021. Um, his ADP is very palatable right now. It's in the one, mid 160s. Um, I think you can see a good and easy repeat from last year, if not slightly better, because he does come from a very good pedigree. He comes from the Dodgers farm system of catchers, and they've only produced, let's say, Mike Piazza, Will Smith, and Kibber Reeves. He actually they got them in the trade in the trade Turner trade. So I think that that him in that lineup, that lineup is actually going to be a better than last year um they actually have some pieces there they're not going to be great but they have pieces there and keeper is going to bat fourth fifth he, he's going to bat in the middle lineup because he's got that pop so i think that he's a great catcher to take in a two catcher league because you can pair him very well with with almost any second catcher so what, what do second catchers have usually crappy averages right they maybe you'll get uh, find a couple that'll hit 20 25 home runs you know, but they're just crappy average. Well, he has the opposite. He's going to have a very good average. His strikeout rate last year was 10%. I mean, that's phenomenal for a catcher. He'll, he won't hit 30 homers, but, you know, he'll have 16, 20 maybe. Um, 20 homers, 266 average. Uh, you know, uh, that pairs very well with something later. So I think for in terms of the stats you're getting, he pairs well later on. It's a very good option to have, and I think he's priced pretty well. Going in the 12th round, I think he's worth a little bit more than that. Um, so I'm, I'm happy to take Ruiz just like the others. I think it's a good pick. What about you, Justin? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't think it's a bad pick. He's not a guy that I've really liked in the past. The power kind of came out of nowhere last year where – like, I mean, he had a little bit of a rise in the barrel percentage, a little bit of a rise in the max exit velocity. 
but nothing that screams to me like, hey, this is a guy who should have jumped up by 11 home runs uh, in in this season. Um, the one thing he does do, uh, Kyber Ruiz, is uh, he puts the bat on the ball. 94% zone contact is not only elite for a catcher, it's elite for a baseball player. It was the seventh best of any qualified hitter in the major league last year. I mean, we're talking about he's, you know, going around guys like Mookie Betts and uh, Alex Bregman in terms of uh, zone contact skills. So, like, that's really, really impressive. And so what I do think is I think there's a chance that the power comes back down a little bit and he goes back to maybe being a, like, a, a low teens kind of a home run hitter. But I think he's about one of the safer bats at the catcher position. And that's a position that typically isn't very safe in general, right? Guys get hurt, guys get banged up. Uh, guys go from you know being able to hit 20 home runs to not being able to hit anything. Uh, so I think if you're looking for safety, so in your two catcher, in your deeper leagues, NL only, the 15 team two catcher, I like Ruiz because of that level of safety. Uh, but I do think there's going to be some regression back in the power department. Yeah, good point. And uh, I like safety. Um, I, I think that when you have two different catchers, you could get somebody a little bit safe. Uh, and, Absolutely. Uh, that, yeah, and that strikeout rate will just keep his total total good, right? I mean, if he had a 25% strikeout rate, well, who knows? 10% strikeout rate? That's a, you know, he, he's going to have a very high floor. Um, so he'll get on and he'll get something. Uh, they're not going to score a lot of runs in, in Washington, but you know he'll get on a lot more than others. Let's do the next two together. Uh, I'll throw it to you, Justin. Jonah Heim, coming off of a good season, could have been even better if he was uh, if he was healthy the whole year. He looked like he was really shooting to the moon. Uh, and then Logo Nohapi, who uh, only managed 182 at bats, really good 182 at bats at the end of the year with 14 homers. Uh, what about those? Uh, do you prefer one to the other? Are both thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs sideways? Um, any underwear commercials you're in? What's going on? <laughs> um, I mean, I prefer Heim a little bit just because he's going a little bit cheaper. Um, and I think as draft season goes on, especially if Ohapi comes healthy into spring training, I think Ohapi's price is going to go up quite a bit. But I think people are forgetting that Prior to getting injured, Jonah Heim was the number one catcher in fantasy. Um, like, he was having an unreal good season uh, and just kind of got derailed. But finished the year on the field, right? Finished the year playing. Uh, and, like, that's what I want to see from a guy who got hurt towards the end of the season is did they finish on the field or not? Um, so I think both these guys are uh, catcher, you know, really, really good catcher twos. Um, or even, you know, good, you know, low-end catcher ones. Uh, and I don't mind just taking both. Uh, you know, I'm totally fine. I actually really, really like this tier of, you know, Jonah Heim and Ruiz and Mitch Garver and Cabasano uh, and Hoapi. So, like, I don't mind getting both of my catchers from this area uh, if that's uh, kind of the guys that really stand out to me. 
yeah, I agree with a lot of the points, and I do prefer Haim because of the cost, and I think he's got a lot of upside. I mean, uh, you can imagine what would happen, what would have happened without the uh, um, the injury, and he's still priced pretty fairly. He's going in the twelfth round. I mean, it's it's fantastic. By the way, I keep mentioning the underwear commercials. If uh, you guys don't know, but Eno Saris appeared in an underwear commercial with Ivan uh, Rodriguez. Uh, I keep mentioning that. It was uh, pretty spectacular. Yeah, what was what was the stat? The uh the ballgator the that? the ballgorithm. Ballgorithm. <laughs> you know, made up some phony baloney stat and said whoever guesses the closest uh, uh during the World Series wins. So a very funny commercial. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Check it out. Um, Ruvain, any thoughts on Heim versus Oh Hoppy? Yes, I actually had Heim last year in the league that we were in together in GDD, and the first half of the year, 282, 12 homers, 59 RBIs. Now, I was silly enough to play him right after he came back from injury. When he first came back, with, and his injury happened to be a wrist injury. He had a torn tendon sheath in his, in his wrist, and when he came off the IL, he went three for his first 30, and that just killed my average I, I i took a nosedive in that league so are you going to get the first half jonah heim or are you going to get the second half jonah heim now mitch garver is not there so jonah heim may get more uh, opportunity behind the plate because toward the end of the season he was actually losing some playing time because he wasn't hitting so that's something just to watch for i th- i'm i'm buying high in jonah heim i liked him going into last year i'm still high in him and i, I think he can repeat the first half of last year if he's healthy as for logan ohapi um, he had 14 home runs in 51 games. That's pretty good. He had shoulder surgery. He only batted 217 in 129 at-bats after shoulder surgery. So he wasn't all there. He wanted to get get out there and play. Um, he had an almost a 40% hard hit contact last year, which was great. Um, his bat wasn't that great, which is why his batting average was as low as one reason why it was low as it was. So there is still upside for Logan Ohapi. I think you saw the upside or the ceiling for Jonah Heim in the first half of last year, and I don't think we've seen the full upside in, in Logan Ohapi. So it's really pick and choose which one you want. I think the point here is that you can see by the number of catchers that we're mentioning that are going in like the 11th, 12th round, maybe the 9th round, even with Salvador Perez, there's just a, such a large hot spot for catchers. If you want a catcher, this is the rounds to take him. Uh, I would plan on it. That like I would just pencil that in as, all right, I'll take one of those catchers. If you do have a favorite, great. If you're indifferent, this is really the right spot. I do want to talk about one other catcher that's going lower, and I'm, I'm more I'm more questioning whether this catcher is going to stay at this level and maybe what the reason is for it. But Shea Langoliers got a lot of power. It reminds me a little bit of Mike Zanino. Maybe he's better than Mike Zanino. He did hit only 205 last year. But 22 homers last year. He's got 30 homer upside uh, in him. You know, it's only his third, uh, third year going to be in the majors, second full year. Um, he's uh, my, my calculation is about a $6, $7 catcher, but he's going very late, round 17. Sounds like a pretty good second catcher to take because uh, of that power. Are you any interested in Shea Langoliers, uh, Justin? You mentioned that he's going to probably get a little bit more extra at-bats, maybe out of the DH. He bats roughly fourth or fifth in the lineup in Oakland. Any interest? Yeah, I I, I like Shea Langoliers. He's kind of a kind of my fallback option, right? If I don't get my second catcher uh, in that kind of previous tier, uh then I tend to wait on kind of Shea Langoliers or Alejandro Kirk, someone like that. Uh, Langoliers has power. Like you said, I think there is going to be a season where Langoliers hits 30 home runs. Will it come at the cost of a 200 batting average like we saw last year where he hit 205? There is that risk, right? Um, But 
I think once you get down to this point in the draft, I think a lot of these guys have that kind of risk. So, uh, and not a lot of the guys have 30 homer upside like Langoliers does. And the beauty of Langoliers is, like I mentioned, and you just alluded to, uh, is he is going to get DH responsibilities too, right? So he he had 123 games, which is a lot of games at catcher itself, and then eight games at the DH. Uh, and this was the team that allowed Sean Murphy to get over 600 plate appearances. I think this is one of those years where Langoliers has the potential to get close to 600 plate appearances, which very few catchers, only two last year, were able to do. Yeah, I think that whatever projection I come up with right now, I have 22 for the homers. I actually think he's going to beat that. I would take the mm-hmm. over on the homers for him. Uh, I think he can get close to 30 even, uh, especially with that increased playing time. So uh, I do like him. And he, he's the type of catcher that you would have been drafting last year or expecting to draft last year, the year before. Low 200 average, hoping to get 20 home runs. So to get him as your number two catcher when people were taking this type of catcher as a number one catcher last year, by all means, take it. Plus, I mentioned about the pedigree of the Dodgers. He was traded from the from the Braves to the Athletics because the, because the Athletics saw something. The Braves have a pretty good reputation for catchers also, going all the way back to Javi Lopez and, and the way they're signing the catchers and the, and the way they're swapping catchers with the A's. It seems like those two organizations know how to pick the catchers, and there's there's no harm in having this type of catcher if you pair it with, let's say, a Kiba Ruiz or someone who has a higher batting average up to upside. Then you have him plus Langoliers, and you have a pretty good set of catchers. Justin, any other catchers that we haven't covered here that you think is a pretty good value? Um, you know, I, I mean, I mentioned uh, Camposano. You, you know, he played really, really well uh, down the stretch for San Diego, a former top prospect, uh, and a guy who just really showed really, really good contact skills um, last year. Uh, I mentioned Alejandro Kirk, uh, another guy who, um, you know, he's had, had good years in the past, uh, but kind of disappointed this last year. Uh I'm not usually like best shape of their life kind of guy, but uh, I have seen pictures of him working out in the off season and he is in the best shape of his life. And uh, he's one of those guys that tends to run a little bit pudgy and he's looking pretty muscular right now. So, uh, and he's just so cheap, 263. Um, and then, you know, we talked about Sal Perez. But we didn't talk about his teammate, Freddie Furman, who I think is going to get some more playing time as Sal Perez starts to uh, DH more and more. Um, and I, he's going pick 503. So we're talking about, you know, probably you're, you know, the last round of a, you know, two catcher 15 team league with 30 rounds. So uh, I'm, I think Furman's just one of those guys that's got a little bit of interesting upside. And then Patrick Bailey, uh, Giants catcher, would be remiss if I didn't mention my own, my own team once during a guest episode on your guys' podcast. But he yeah. showed some uh, pretty good skills. He's a former first round pick. Uh, the team really, really likes him, and I think they're going to give him a lot of opportunities, uh, maybe even at DH as well when he's not catching. Ruvain, what about uh, catcher injuries? What's the update? Well, we got. I'm giving you catcher injury updates. Whatever is available right now, most of the catcher and, and most of the injury updates are going to happen starting when spring training opens up. We'll have a better idea. But we'll start with Wilson Contreras. Um, he ended the season on the aisle with tendonitis in his left wrist. I don't think there's going to be any issue with that. Danny Jansen had surgery for a fractured middle finger toward the middle of September. He should be fine. He had the therapy. Everything should be good. He should be good to go over next year. 
Um, we mentioned, actually, um, Justin, you mentioned about Henry Davis playing catcher because Andy Rodriguez, he had surgery to repair his elbow. He's going to be out for the whole year. So Henry Davis may get some more time. Alex Sanchez may get some far, more time, former Met prospect, low, low prospect. Um, so those some some guys because right now they don't really have a catcher. Uh, Freddie Fermin, he also had a fractured middle finger, uh, middle finger, left middle finger. He had surgery for it in, in mid-September. He should be good to go. Um, and Jose Trevino, a guy who was an all-star not too long ago for the Yankees, had had surgery to repair a torn ligament in his in his right lip, right wrist. He actually started the season complaining of wrist pain, and the Yankees did nothing about it, and he played through it, ended up needing surgery. So if you need a guy much lower down on the list who has the possibility of getting a lot of playing time, Jose Trevino's your guy. Well, that's it for our catcher episode. I want to thank our guest on the show, Justin Mason, for coming on. Justin, what do you got? What do you got going on these days? Oh God! Well, I'm writing over at Fangraphs and Fantasy Pros. I'm on the Sleeper in the Bus podcast, the Friends Fantasy Benefits podcast, uh, and uh, TGFBI signups are open. So go oh, sign wow, up for TGFBI right. if you haven't already. Uh, the signups for the actual TGFBI contest, where you need to be some sort of content creator uh, in the fantasy industry, uh, will be open until the end of the month. Uh, but you can win your way in through a satellite league. Uh, and those signups will probably go until we fill up all the leagues sometime towards the end of February. So uh, go ahead and sign up for both of those uh, things. And uh, yeah, g- give me a follow on Twitter at Justin Mason FWFP. Definitely follow Justin and uh, follow TGFBI. Really, really great contest. All the industry uh, expert content creators uh, mash it up in an overall. Uh, how many? How many? Uh, how many uh, registrants are we gonna have? About four fifty, something like that. Well, I think last year I think we were at four. Let's say four thirty-five last year. So, uh, you know, I don't know if we've reached the point in which we've plateaued, and if we're gonna get to four fifty again, or if we're gonna be uh, kind of in between four and four fifty. But um, I mean, we're we're already what eleven days into June, and I think the last I checked. We were at 275 people who'd already signed up. So pretty good chance we get uh, well over 400 again this year. Amazing. And uh, I guess we'll see you in New York for Tout Wars as well? Oh, absolutely. Me and Danielle will both be there uh, probably flying in sometime on Thursday and then flying out on Sunday. It is one of my favorite weekends of the year, right up there with First Pitch Arizona. Uh, And I, I... you know, the Tout Wars board sends out an email, you know, every year, like, hey, are you coming back? And blah, blah, blah. And I always email Jeff or Peter back and tell them, listen, I'm going to come until you guys stop letting me come. Like, it's, you don't really have to ask. I'm going to be there. Well, we'll see you there. Uh, which I forget which contest. You're in, are you in the mixed auction? Yeah, I'm in the mixed auction. So that's, uh, and I. I, I used to be, well, I, I think I've been in every single league they've drafted there except for AL. Um, but I think the mixed auction just has the most, um, it's most applicable to what we tend to cover for kind of the general people. I, I prefer the mono leagues cause I grew up on mono leagues, but I think more people kind of care about the results from, from the kind of the mixed, uh, 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 the, the mixed auction. So, uh, I'll probably stick in that for a little while. And I finished second this year. Nice. Uh, uh, no, not nice. I was in first place. I was oh. in first place. <laughs> oh. Got passed. Uh, I, I, well, Brett Sayer was in first for most of the season. I passed him in the last week, and then he passed me on the last day. 
Oh boy. So it was, it was a pretty good, uh, and I, uh, you know, I, I was really happy for Brett cause I think he would have been pretty, he would have been pretty distraught had he not, uh, gotten that back after leading the majority of the way. But, oh man, I was so close to taking that down. I really wanted it. Uh, well, there's this year. I, I finished second in tout last year, uh, but in the head-to-head playoffs, I lost to Frank Stample uh, yet again. Uh, thanks, Frank. Uh, but uh, <laughs> hey, we'll we'll try again. I think he is moving league, so maybe oh. I get a better shot. Uh, <laughs> Frank Frank's been good in it. All right, uh, Ruvain, what about you? What's what's going on with you? You can follow me on Twitter at MLRX at MLB Injury Guru, where you can follow the injury updates as they come, which they will come toward the beginning of spring training. And I will have a weekly article in Rotoballer going over these injury updates and who to pick and who's coming up next and everything like that. And I look forward to drafting against, again, Ariel and you, Justin, in GDD. We'll see how that works out. Oh, yeah, that's right. We were in the same league uh, last year. That's right. Hmm. Yeah, Ariel, how did you, how, how did you, how did you do in that league? <laughs> uh, not that great. <laughs> we had a very, oh, very okay. bad year. Me and Derek Cardi, uh, not a good year. I, I check it to randomness and injury. Yeah. Okay, sure. <laughs> How did you do, Ruben? <laughs> I finished in third. I was in second place all year, but my Jonah Heim player, or tie player, mm. killed me. My, I, I got bit by the injury bug the last month of the season. I was in second place the whole season until the last day when I almost fell into fifth. And, Ju- and Justin, you had a good uh, NFBC year last year, right? I did. Um, I won my uh, my auction league, my fifteen hundred dollar auction. I uh, came in second place in my main. Um, so yeah, it was it was a very good year for me. Uh, overall, it was it was it was a very good year. Um, and so I'm hoping to repeat that uh, in 2024 and and not relive the horrific year that I had in 2022. And hopefully, even better. Uh, I'm Ariel Cohen. I'm over at Fangraphs, Rotographs. I'm at Rotoballer. And uh, ATC projections will be up pretty soon, any day, uh, hopefully the next week, hopefully. So uh, mark your calendars for about a week. Um, and uh, you can follow me on Twitter, X, whatever you call it these days, at ATCNY, the shortest Twitter handle in all of the fantasy baseball industry. Sorry, Spore, I beat you by a letter. All right. Anyways, uh, thanks so much again to Justin Mason for coming on the show and from all of us here at Beat the Shift. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangress. Follow us on Twitter at Beat underscore shift underscore pod.